Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory. Relentless performance for your firearms. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hunting Collective. A very special episode Today, we're going to say goodbye to turkey season. Uh, it's over now for most of us in the office, most of us around the country. We had a great one. We had a lot of great discussions on this podcast, a lot of great content on TheMediator.com, but we're going to say goodbye to turkey season, and, and the only way I could think to do it, and that's by me, talking to Giannis, the Latvian Eagle, Patelis, probably the best turkey hunter on our crew, although Renella might argue, but... We have Yanni. We're talking. We're saying goodbye to turkey season. We're talking tips and tactics, run and gun versus sit and get, um, and reflecting on our interview guest for today, who is Colonel Tom Kelly. Colonel Tom Kelly is 93 years of age as it stands. Throughout his life, he's been called the poet laureate of turkey hunting, and and in my mind is has done the best job of representing turkey hunters and turkeys and our pursuit in the written word ever maybe ever so he's a legend and it's very special to sit down with him probably the only podcast he's ever done and ever will do you're about to hear so hopefully it stands up to the lofty goals of his career Uh, i've I've long wanted to meet tom and have a conversation with him so hopefully you will enjoy it as much as i did but before we get to that we're going to talk about something from first light and that's the woody grit muck boots now these just went onto the website at first light Dot com. I saw them there, and I figured I want to talk to you about them because I'm I got them, and they're going to be badass. Um, these are the neoprene with the PK mesh lining. Uh, they're in. They're featured in First Light Fusion. And if you don't have, if you've never worn muck boots, what the hell are you doing? Get yourself a pair of muck boots. I wear. I was just wearing my muck boots out for mushroom hunting last week, so it's it's a must if you live in the muddy climate of the spring early spring here in montana or really anywhere else if you're a duck hunter um, you wear them shoveling the driveway in the winter time whatever you need the muck boots are there for you and these just happen to have a kick-ass first light fusion pattern on them so you should go there go to firstlight.com check them out they're pretty cool i like them 
Nobody told me to say that. I just saw them on the website. Um, they're limited runs, so get there now. They're going to sell out soon, I bet. So get over there to firstlight.com. All right. Without further ado, one of my favorite podcasts of all time coming right at you. Let's go. I guess I grew up on an older road. A pedal to the metal always did what I told. Until I found out that my brand new clothes came secondhand from the rich kids next door. And I grew up fast, I guess I grew up mean. There's a thousand things inside my head I wish I ain't seen. And now I just wander through a real bad dream. Or feeling like I'm coming apart at the seams. But thank you, Jack Daniels. Oh, no. Hey, everybody. It's me, Ben O'Brien. I host this podcast. It's called The Hunting Collective, and we're back on a very sad, sad day. It's June. It'll be June 4th when you're listening to this, and this is kind of in memoriam to turkey season. She she was good to us this year, I feel like, and and we got to move on to other things, bears, spring bear season, and then just like... What makes it a female? What's that? What makes turkey season a female? Just because I'm in love with her. You know, it's a heterosexual relationship. You feel weird if it, if you're saying I love him. <laughs> I the love turkey him. season. So just me, but I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't judge anybody if they wanted to uh, personify turkey season as a guy or gal or an it or whatever you need it to be. But for me, she's a gentle, gentle lover, and I will miss her until I don't really hunt fall turkeys, or I would miss her till the fall. But spring turkeys to me is just a different, different time. Yeah, I always say if I get all my big game tags filled, that I'd go chase some fall turkeys, but it uh, no. hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just really melancholy right now. I'm sad. I had a good year. You had a good year. Yeah, I'm actually not. I'm not sad. No, because yeah, because I, I quenched on sunday <laughs> and so i'm very satiated right so now you feel. It's, we're record it's tuesday so that was uh two days ago and um yeah it was a very i say you could say i saved the best for last best for last or, was it the or best? she turkey season saved the best for last she's a wonderful wonderful companion um all right well tell us this last turkey story i believe you were in wisconsin were you not yeah it's the great doug Dern. mm-hmm but you know, just a few days prior to that, Steve and I were in uh, Michigan hunting turkeys with a very special guest that'll be on Meteor Podcast soon. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we should mention it or not. I forgot to It'll ask you about a, that off air. It's a super big secret. Yeah. Big teaser. How'd it go without saying who uh, all it was? I say, all I'll say is there's a couple people that fit this bill, but he played a couple sports really well. Yeah. Um, it went well. Did he play turkeys really well? Uh, did not play turkeys really well. Uh, unfortunate. Unfortunate. Pass up shots at Jake's though. Oh, uh, well, uh, it's a classy gentleman. Yeah. And I'll start my here. story of, in my turkey hunting story in Michigan with a Jake because it was the last day I had passed up Jake's on the first day. We only had two days to hunt. So there was one day, the first day and second day, first and last. And uh, Steve was giving me a bunch of shit. He's like, really? A one-day hunt? You're passing up a Jake? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I did. You know, I, I like those, the big breasts of a gobbler. 
You know, I really like those big breasts. <laughs> um, and uh, I like long beards. You know, there's some, just something about killing a long beard over a Jake. It just, uh, it feels a little bit better for some reason. But Guy, who, was, who I was hunting with, who uh, runs this ranch for our buddy Matt, he was like, Tom is a Tom, a gobbler is a gobbler. Jake or Tom, he's like, it's a male turkey to me. doesn't matter. And we just happened to see five Jakes at that moment when we're having this conversation out in a field. And I'm like, yeah, but we got like four or five hours left before I really have to go. And he's like, buddy, don't let me influence your thinking, but I would be killing a Jake. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like when it's the last day and you want to go home with some meat and you got some Jakes in front of you, you should probably try to kill one. So we, I take like five steps. I'm like, and he's like, I'm going to call a little bit and see what they do. You know, and I'm kind of glassing them. I take five steps. And I look, and I'm like, oh shit, they're coming. You know, I'm like, I'm just going to sit down right here at this tree I'm next to. He's like, go to that next one. I'm like, no, man, they're coming. Like, it'll be good. And we're kind of on a little, a uh, little logging road that just connects a power line to a field. And it's only 70 yards long, um, you know, maybe 15 yards wide. And uh, I mean, I'm pulling my seat down with one hand, holding my gun in the other. And I'm, my butt's still like a foot off the ground. And I'm looking down the lane and I see a long beard come around the corner of the field and onto the road that we're on. But the Jakes are still, you know, 75, 80 yards out, you know, and all of a sudden this long beard is just like, Hey, I heard that. What's up? <laughs> What's up? Boss? And, uh, I mean, I barely had time to just, I mean, I just let go of my seat and just put my butt on the ground and threw up my gun and, popped him um but i almost felt like it was a sign because i was like i'm cool with shooting jake and then <laughs> whoever it be up there that you know helps make decisions like that was like you know what S- since you made amends here's the a mother long, of here's, a, here's a long beard for you thanks for your flexibility uh-huh. <laughs> we're gonna let you yeah. and this is in michigan still or is this that, that was in michigan huh what, michigan yeah and that was number what turkey for you for this this that was number six Mm. six that's pretty that's that's more than most people kill you honey that i had bested my uh best ever season of five at that point so you're just it was all gravy Mm, i was i was shooting for 10 i had enough tags to make it to 10 in wisconsin (laughs) i told doug during that on the phone i was i was like i think uh yanni has a little bit of hubris coming out there he's shooting for 10 then he, he reminded me, he's like, aren't you shooting for 10? I was like, yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm similar hubris. Now, I only got to four myself, um, and that's that's a big issue with me. I feel I don't feel like a failure because every hunt I went on, I killed a turkey. But mm-hmm. I just, that's good. But yeah, but I, I just. Kill one. Well, I think you did, didn't you? Except for that one Montana bird you guys that you guys, yeah, uh, I didn't kill one on that hunt, and that was a lot of days we put in. And I even went back to try to kill that bird. We'll get back to him. We're gonna later. get to him. We're gonna get to him. But 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 to to set up our turkey season, I I always go in for ten. It's my goal always because I feel like how many like always like hold on how the many, last three years, three years. <laughs> okay <laughs> always because you've been hunting turkeys how long since I was fourteen I don't know fifteen so that's twenty years twenty years probably twenty years you're thirty five. 33 20 years of turkey hunting 20, you got 10 years on me probably roughly 20 years but i mean the first 
the first how many ever years, probably the first 12 years, it was very sporadic. Over the last eight years, I've really gotten. You weren't real serious. I wasn't real serious. If it was turkey season, I'd go. But over the last eight years, it's like, I got to go. How many years go. have you called yourself a turkey fanatic? Probably four, five, something like yeah. that. Something similar to that. When I really felt like that's the thing I was waiting for the most. And I don't, I know I live in Montana now, I'm supposed to say elk hunting and blah, blah, blah. But I've said this on this podcast many times, and I'll repeat it that there's something about turkey season that gets me going. It just really gets me excited. So I try to kill for the last three years. I've set a goal of 10 birds per year, knowing that each bird would yield roughly eight to 10 pounds of meat. I feel like 10 birds. Plus I love, love hunting them. So I would take 20 if possible, but 10 birds kind of feels like the amount of meat I would need to, to offset a bunch of, need for white meat for the rest of the year plus legs and thighs and things that'll that you can do to to offset some other consumption so that's something that i've been trying to do i think i've gone like six six four this year something like that or five six four something like that so it always seems like i end up in that mid like halfway to my goal yeah man and that's a lot of uh turkey hunting is mm-hmm. a lot of turkey killing it is to get to five or six it is and it's never I never feel, I feel this year, like uh, the time I spent in the woods, I maximized, you know, with, with everything going on, I maximized the time in the woods. And like you were just saying about Michigan, I don't know if everybody else is like this, but it feels like my turkey hunts are only a day or two long. I never get like a five day turkey hunt or a six day turkey hunt. It always feels like they're truncated to the point where I'm, I'm going hard after just yeah, there's no, you're like, oh, I could take a nap. Oh, but I'm only here for one day. I better keep pounding it, and maybe I'll get this gobbler fired up at 1.30 in yeah. the afternoon. And it often leads to killing, afternoon killings. But anyway, that was my goal for this year. It also leads to being tired as fuck. That, that, there's no, there's, it, being tired in the midday of a turkey hunt is different. I've been like mind-bendingly tired this year a couple of afternoon. I actually think I went a step farther. I used to enjoy the mind-bending tiredness where you're kind of like the world's, and this happens elk hunting too if you haven't taken your uh, midday naps like you should, like a good elk hunter, where the world seems to get a little hazy and foggy and your brain is hazy and foggy. You can't make good decisions and you lay down for an hour, sometimes two, every now and then three, and you wake up and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is how, how everything should feel and look again, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you're back in action. It's like 15 minutes sometimes. It's like your synapses just aren't quite firing and then 15 minutes, yeah. your brain refreshes. Every little bit helps. It, it, it does help. And I've been, I remember in Texas this year, I was, we were on, you guys had already left and I'd stayed an extra day and we just went through like a hot as hell, no gobble day. <laughs> Heard a couple gobbles on the roof, so just nothing after that. And must have hiked. We hiked a long way around that same, the same Yanni loop that you hiked mm-hmm. in that spot in Texas. And I just, by the midday, my buddy Tyler and I were both just, we would be talking and then one of us would fall asleep. We'd be walking and we just, one of us would just stop talking and your, one of your eyes would be closed and you just didn't really know where you were and you'd wake up. Ah! And so at that point, you just got to take a nap. You do. Just got to give yourself a break. But I think what happened to me this year and um, I'm not complaining because half of it's for work, you know? That's what they call it. That's what they say. But they because you're hammering like that, and so instead of taking naps, you're punching emails. Instead of taking naps, you're recording a podcast. Instead of taking naps, you're 
you know, fixing a meal for some people, whatever it might be. And then you're, you know, next morning you're, you were getting up at three 30 to go turkey hunt. The next morning you get up at three cause you got to make a flight somewhere at five 30. And I think I wore myself down where I've been now battling, I think for 10 days, like when I'm calling the turkey crud, <laughs> the turkey season crud, man. It's like, I feel pre- I feel like nine, I've been like at 90 and 95% for like a solid 10 days. Like it's not putting me down, but I'm just not quite there. Yeah, There's a little, get... little congestion, a little slight headache. And it's just, I think I'm going to sleep this week with not no no 3.30 a.m. wake-ups. And by Friday, I'm going to be, be fine. 101 again. Well, I did. We did the rendezvous, and then I went to Idaho and hunted a couple of days. And I went to Oregon, and it was, and I had just went to South Dakota. And, and by, by the time I got home from that little run, I was... I was here, but not here for a couple of days, at least a couple of days. You know, I, I had the sniffles. I wasn't sleeping right. I was hearing gobbles at every corner mm-hmm. in the office. I just didn't, I just, I just wasn't right. And I felt like that, that was my turkey, like just my, the turkey haze, the turkey fog that's, that causes. And there's other, you know, whitetails, you get that too. If you sit, sit, do a bunch of all day sits in a row you get a little bit loopy. For sure. Um, and elk too and everything else. But, Turkeys, turkeys for me feels like you that. don't have to get up nearly as early for all day November whitetail sits, no. and you're no. not burning anywhere near the calories. No, three thirty. You don't have three to make o'clock. decisions. You're in a tree. The decision's made for you. All you have to do <laughs> is sit there. I guess you have to make a decision on like, well, That's a am I going to look at my phone again? Should I look left or right? You know, sure. You have to like stay focused, and that I'm not pl- downplaying it. It takes mental toughness and energy. And does. like, as soon as you let your guard down, freaking there's the buck, you know, you're not ready for it. But no, man, when you get foggy and he's gobbling and you're like, God, should I move? Should I not move? Should I go to the left? Should I go to the right? Is he going to go up to the bench? Is he not? You know, should I get closer before I call? Should I call, set up and call right yeah. now? Yep. And that's, that's, that's why I love it. That's why I love it. Um, so we're going to go through, I, I sent you some bullet pointed topics. Mm-hmm. Some of these are like internal debates. Some of these are just things that I want to talk about. One of them you just just mentioned. But this is one that we've been arguing in the office and on social media. Turkey vest versus pack. Turkey vest versus pack. Where do you fall? I I know where you fall, but tell the... You don't know where I fall. I don't? No? Mm -hmm. You tell me you're going to get hit me here or something? In the last... uh, I'm trying to think... I probably started out, so I've been roughly hunting 10, maybe 12 years hunting turkeys. I probably started out straight backpack. Then, because I was jealous of everybody's seat, mm. I went, but I didn't want to wear the vest because I had just this thing in my head about the vest and the guys I ran with didn't run vests that I found a, I think it was called a Cabela Speed Seat. And oh, it was yeah. Basically a fanny pack with a with a butt thing. And I still have it like it. The only it's part, got side pouches. I got one too. It's got the, side pouches. It's cool. Yeah, it's not quite big enough. It could be a little bit bigger, but the problem is that the butt pad never really wants to like stay up in position, so it's kind of always flopping against the back of your legs. You know, I've done some modifications to it. It's a little bit better. Anywho, I ran that for solid five, six, seven years, something like that. Just this year, because I wanted to try a vest, I got me a Primos turkey vest. Ooh. It's pretty cool, because this one's called, I think, their rocker vest. So it's basically got like a crazy creek 
camping chair built into it. You familiar with the chair I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. It's got yeah, like yeah. two straps that kind of connect yep. it. You sit in it and your legs support your back. So it's pretty slick because anywhere you want, you can sit down and you're glassing. It works slick for glassing because oh, yeah. you just immediately have like, Jennifer looked at me the other day. My wife is like, man, I can't believe how long you've been holding that position. Like my core has just <laughs> <laughs> become a rock. I'm like, well, no, I have this chair. This I'm is sitting chair. <laughs> um, so this is the first year I've ever run a vest. And so... I don't know. I've got thoughts on all of them, and I can't say one's better than the any, any one of them are better than the other. And just to be clear, that you've hunted in the Intermountain West a bunch this year. You've hunted in Texas. Yep. You've hunted in Michigan and Wisconsin. So you've hunted around both yeah. in, in an area where you would normally carry a pack, which would be Montana, mm-hmm. Idaho, wherever, where yep. you're looking at a lot of steep pitches and a lot of hiking, and areas that are more flat an arid where you generally wouldn't need a pack if you're going out all day. There's mm-hmm. not, there's no property I've been to in Texas that I would think to take a pack and put anything in it. Cause normally you're walking on the road or walking to a feeder or walk, you know, like it just, just doesn't feel the same. So I think that's kind of where this thing, it's like a cultural divide almost. Cause you know, Brody Henderson comes out. I was like, I'm wearing a pack and this is why like, yeah, but that's because you live in Colorado. If I would take Brody Henderson and, and raise him in Tennessee, I guarantee he'd be wearing a vest. Yeah. The thing I got, my complaint, my, I guess I'll go with the pros of the vest first. It freaking keeps your shit organized. It also allows you to carry too much turkey shit, I feel like. Where my little fanny pack, I was like, no, only these three calls. You know, and with the vest, you're like, oh, well, might as well carry three glass and two slate and, you know, 18 strikers, you know, yeah, you got to put some shit in them, you know? Um, so yeah, the thing about the, the vest, even in, in Wisconsin this last weekend, uh, with the whole Turkey in that vest, you don't have to walk very far until you're like, oh, this thing doesn't have a hip belt. It doesn't carry a 20, 25 pound load on my back very well. My shoulders are feeling it, you know? So I think it comes down to how far are you willing to walk? Because we did some tours in Texas where yeah. had you killed a bird at the far end and you didn't have a buggy to ride back in, you'd be much happier packing that bird back in a pack than, yeah, than in your vest. Um the thing about the packs, though, is that where you really get troublesome because you do, and with turkey hunting, you need a seat, man. Uh, anybody, you want to call me a, a wussy for saying you need to have one, whatever, I don't care. But to sit there comfortably for a long time and not fidget and not twitch and not be moving your butt cheeks back and forth and be still like you need to be in turkey hunting, you got to be sitting on a butt pad. And a lot of times you need to do it quickly. Yep. So you can't be pulling it out of your backpack and wherever you got stuff or whatever and getting underneath it. And then when you want to run and gun or start crawling from your last position, you need that thing to be attached to you. So you can't stuff it back in and then go doing your thing. Right now, there is not the perfect answer for, I feel like what I would call like a, I'm going to say long range. It's not like a sheep hunter long range, but a long range turkey hunter. Yeah, like a day trip. Like if a day trip where, yeah, where you could easily be hiking five to 10 miles, but not be out of the question. And you might pack a bird back a couple miles. Well, that's, and I think Flat it's land or hilly ground, you know, it doesn't matter. When I look at it, I think it's like access, like accessibility of your stuff, calls and things you need to go grab. Here comes a bird. You don't have time to, like if you're running yeah. a slate call and you have to reach 
behind and some extra pouch on your pack. And so you have to have this stuff accessible with a vest. Everything's accessible. Yeah. When I ran the fanny pack though, I would just like utilize all my pockets that I have in my clothes a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Right, crow call in you know one pocket, slate in a cargo pocket, striker you know in the cargo pocket next to it, so that it's not clicking and banging. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I I think so. If you can solve for accessibility with a pack on, if you could wear like a pack for hauling stuff, and then like a fanny pack for carrying your essentials, or if something like Stone Glacier would have like a, a little attachment for you know your calls and whatnot, I think you'd be solved. Whereas you have all this accessibility with a vest, but all the weight hangs around your waist. I mean, when you're traveling in the in in mountain country, you're told to get the get the the load bearing strap of your pack above your hips to carry the weight better. You so, mean the weights? You're bearing the weight on your shoulders in a vest. Yeah. Is what you well, mean. all the weights around your waist, which makes you bear the weight on your shoulders. Right. It's all. It's there, there's no displacement of yeah. There's um, no hip belt. Yeah, there's nothing there. So you're it's it's moving around. It's not it's not real comfortable to walk in. Although once you get used to it, you, you're used to it. But it's still the way to di- distribute the weights you're carrying sucks. Because if you say you put a decoy in the back, you got all this box calls and slate calls and flashlights and stuff in the front. It's hanging off your body. Yeah. In a way that stresses your shoulders. But decoys, same thing. I hunted with some guys in Montana this year that were packing deeks on their backpack, and I was packing them in the just giant game pouch of my uh, vest. And man, I could deploy and set up in half the time that it was taking them. And they're like taking their packs off, getting their snaps. If yeah. there's a turkey. And then packing up, same thing. Yeah. I'm like, we got a boogie, let's go. I'm like, whoosh, whoosh, in my little pouch, and, I, and I'm running. And they're like, oh, I got to like get the bungee cords out. Yeah, hold on. Big loud snaps. Oh, snap this in. Snap this in. You're like, well, the turkey's now gone. Great pack. I still lean toward the vest for the, for the reasons I outlined there, but but I could see why a pack would be important if you're in the in the Mountain West or somewhere where you're getting a lot of elevation gain. Mm-hmm. You're driving a lot of miles. So totally get all that. It's a great, we'll continue to have it, but maybe one day we'll create the meat eater turkey vest. It's perfect. Yeah. I could definitely use uh, a, a more minimal turkey vest um, and then some sort of uh, load-bearing technology, you know, that would, would, that like, would do it. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's write in with your ideas or send, send us feedback. What's the ultimate turkey conveyance, turkey-carrying device? Um a vest pack, if you will. A vest pack. Uh, all right. What else we got here? Do you... We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Run and gun versus sit and get. I've never heard sit and get. That's pretty good. Sit and get. Did you come up with that? Nope. Nope. One of my first editing when I was uh, working at the National Rifle Association as an editor for American Hunter, uh, one of my coworkers wrote a headline that was run and gun or sit and get. I was like, ah... I'll use that for the rest of my tricky hand days because it really does kind of you you have like the micro elements of making that decision, but then the macro element of what kind of turkey hunter am I? Like, what's my philosophy on turkeys? Oh, okay, right. I see what you're saying because I was going to ask you. I was like, isn't this podcast all about nuance? Because it's, <laughs> the answer falls somewhere in between the two. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, Yanni. There's certainly no bullshit here, uh, but no, I think your general philosophy is like, what do I tend to do? And then in the moment, what do I decide Can to do? Can you describe the two? Like what would make me want one or another? So if you're a sit and get hunter, 
right? If you're a, a guy that likes to stay put, you're generally going to locate a turkey and plant yourself in an area close to it where it would where it would funnel towards or where it might tend to travel and sit there and stay there. Hours. Hours. Yeah. You're, you're in a playing blind, the patience game. You're sitting on a food plot. You're playing the game of he's going to come by here eventually. And I'm going the game that I'm playing is my patience will win out. This turkey's going to want to be in this field strutting or whatever he would be doing. Yep. It's pinch point and whatever in the timber. So that's the sit and get hunter. You would tend to do that. So if the bird flies off the roost, he doesn't come to your little field or the spot you've set up. He starts going to a place where you know you might be able to kill him. Like, ah, I think I'll back off. as to not pressure him. He's going to come back by here eventually. As a run and gun guy, you might start off thinking, well, I'll sit here and see if he'll come by where I'm at. But you can't, you just can't take it. Mm, if he flies, you're lacking patience. You're lacking patience. Or maybe you have this turkey hunting hubris built in that you think you can outsmart him. And you think you can do it quicker than being the guy that sits and waits. Right. So the guy, maybe we're talking about like the, the run and gun guy is a gambler and the sit and get guy or gal is, is more, is patient. He lays in wait. Man, I've definitely have been both of them this turkey season. And, uh, I can tell, and maybe I had more opportunities that allowed me to have more fuck-ups being a running gunner. But when I, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sort of went towards patience and sit and get more, I became more successful. I, I would, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of turkey hunters, me included, who just can't. It's just the time of year, the way to hunt. You just feel like if you can move around and you have space and you're not confined to a small property or whatever, which tends to be out here in the West, you can tend to move around a good bit. That bump of a bird, oh, well, like I'll find another one. So you feel like I'm willing to gamble because it's more fun to me. It's the better experience to go mm-hmm. and work you know, understand and understanding where this bird wants to go, how to manipulate them is a little bit more interactive than just sitting in a place and letting it be known that there's a turkey in this field and continually hammering on that idea until you've convinced him to come over or he's coming anyway. But I just feel like beyond, you know, what your general philosophy is here, it's like knowing where the turkey wants to be is a huge part of the equation. Yes. If you know kind of where he wants to be and how he wants to get there, you can play either one of these two games pretty effectively. Go yeah. get there and sit down or get in between where he wants to go and where he is, whatever, whatever the case might be. Yeah. Do you feel like that maybe in this this whole game of strategy with turkeys is the one thing that matters the most? If you eliminate the calling ability. Knowing I mean, where they want to be? Yeah. Well, I think with any hunting, any game, it's that's just a huge advantage of knowing it. You know, it's when you roll in cold and never have hunted a, a zone, that, I mean, that's mostly what you're trying to figure out for the first two or three days is what the hell's going on. Yeah. And that includes what, do, what does everything look like? And it includes where, where does the game want to be? Where do they sleep? Where do they eat? You know? Um, yeah, no, you're right. I think, you know, being a mountain hunter and having, you know, legs that can go and not minding go, it's certainly tough to, you know, sit for long periods of the time. I mean, the first day in Wisconsin, uh, Jennifer and I, I was hunting with my wife 
and we uh, circumnavigated the farm twice. And Doug's like, dude, it usually takes me three days to do it once, you know? And uh, the first day we did it twice, you know? Um, but again, I think I was kind of doing some recon, you yeah. know? And, you know, but, you know, we weren't hearing a lot of gobbles. And then I got on one and I was trying to get close. I was pushing him and he saw something. I, it's, either that or I bumped a deer over past him and that was enough to, to yeah. shut him up. But... Um, I muffed him and I was really, really upset because that was like the first op- opportunity we had had in two days. And yeah, I have two. Yeah, I have two distinct muffings this year. Two times where I muffed it. The second time. In That's or- it, huh? That was it. I got way more than that. Really? Well, oh, yeah. there's probably other muffings that I didn't even realize I, I, I had perpetrated. The second one, we were, I was in Oregon hunt with Kevin Harlander from First Light. And we had, this is a pretty unique situation. I think this bird, I'd never heard a turkey gobble as much as this turkey. Like he couldn't go, it seemed to me like he couldn't go a step without gobbling. Like he would take pregnant pauses of like 10, 15 seconds, but he just blah, 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 hitting them. It's like he just, I believe, I, I, what I think later is that he had a month, just had a hen that he had bred that went to nest or something like that. Like she had just left him something had happened because it was pretty still pretty late in the season it wasn't he wasn't just starting to get fired up mm-hmm. so i was trying to just in trying to figure that out he was when we first heard him he was a good ways away and we covered this country well he ended up being on this kind of pine knob in the middle of some pretty it's a pretty rolling country so it, by the time we got to where we knew where he was and we could hear his gobble every five seconds so we just tracked him pretty quickly there was a clear cut between us and him, and he had the elevation on us. He's mm-hmm. probably three, 500 feet above us. We were down in this little creek bottom that was edged with some timber. And I, we're standing at the edge of this timber. He's gobbling. I know if we cross this clear cut of timber to get to this stream to get on the hill he's on, he's probably going to see us. Like, But if we take the chance and we get over there, we're going to kill him. Like if we can get across this clear cut and get on the same hill he's on. You couldn't go around could have gone around right kevin gave me the like hey man we could maybe go around i was like yeah but but if he doesn't see us times of the essence yeah times of the essence this guy's gobbling his face off if we can get across here without him seeing us then we're in the money now circling around i've never been in this country i don't know what's over there he may see us if we go that way so we kind of could either sit here and see what he does or i didn't feel like he would have had to fly down to us from where he was. And I just didn't feel like wanting to chance that with letting him know we were there. And so we, I was like, let's just scoot across here really quick. Let's wait till he's gobbling. It sounds like he's facing the other way. Just like, I don't know if he can see us or not, but boy, if he's at the lip of this hill, he's on, he'll be able to see us and he'll spook. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. 
These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. And so I was like, kept saying, okay. We got halfway across that field, stopped in this little set of timber. Went the rest of the way across that field, and by that time, he's no, no, not a sound. And this is a bird that's been gobbling every five seconds for 20 minutes. And so I knew me. I'm like, dude, we just spooked that bird. And, and, and it's not something where we, we, did, we never saw him. I don't think we ever got really that close to him. He just had the high ground on us. And he, like, that was his zone. Like, he'd, that was his area. And so he ended up gobbling later. You know, about five minutes later, he gobbles. He's th- 500 yards down the, you know, away from us and ended up killing him later on. But that was a crappy feeling. We had, we had the most fired up Turkey I had ever heard within 500 yards and we just screwed it. Yeah. Nothing worse um, from going fired up from here to zero. That's zero. In the Turkey woods. Zero. Oh, it hurts. And you were, you were there for the first, the first one I muffed where I just, was hunting with a buddy Tyler, and you had left with Brendan, and we were in Texas hunting. This is right. Was it right before we killed that bird? My the bird I shot. Were you, you mean no, it was right after. It was yeah, right this after. is the evening hunt. We had shot my bird in the afternoon, and then we'd split up. And Tyler and I were sitting on a spot, really just napping, waiting in the mid afternoon. Next thing you know, I got a gobbler at like four hundred yards, starting to light it up, start calling. He's coming on a string. But I know he's coming through like a cattle pasture, and I was worried that 
those cattles were going to bump him around. And I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling. He's coming on a string. And then all of a sudden, as he's about to crest this little ridge to get down in this flat where we are, I hit like the next gobble I hear he's 300 yards the other way going. Like what? What happened? And so I said, well, we better, we better get up to this little ridge, show him the fan, do something to get his attention so he comes back and we can kill him. We got up. We went about 50 yards. We're on the hill, the little crest of this hill where we were going to show him the fan and see if we can get him to come back. And we hear spitting and drumming on the other side of this rock we're sitting by. He had come all the way back across and was now 10 yards away from us. Spitting, or, you know, something that just came to mind. I've heard that story a couple of times, but something just came to mind is, which often happens, happened to me this weekend, is he might have turned or been in a depression or just through his voice and he gobbles one time at 50 and then he gobbles and he something changes the direction that he's pointing or he goes into a little depression and that same gobble sounds like it's 300, 300 yards, yards away. away. And I think that's what happened to us. I think he maybe there was cattle in there and he might have been bumping around a little bit in ways he wouldn't have otherwise, but I think he just turned and gobbled the other way and I heard it wrong and was impatient. If I'd have been patient, he would have walked right down. We'd have shot him, but right. I was impatient. In both those two cases, I feel like just being patient and just playing the cards you're dealt, not trying to force it, would have been dead turkeys. Both those cases, I screwed the pooch. So, sit and get. Sit and get, baby. Well, that's good. Now we can figure all that out for everybody. I think you just got to determine when you go out to turkey hunt if what you are. Are you running gun or are you sit and get? And think real hard about it. Here's the last one. There's time for both, I say. I think you're right. Is, is a turkey fan safe to use on public lands? Do you use it on public lands? I do, but uh, definitely public lands where, like, I haven't seen another turkey hunter. Yeah. Like, you, you're aware of the kind of... Like, if I parked somewhere and at a trailhead where there was, like, the chance that I was going to see another turkey hunter there was another truck there probably wouldn't be working a fan i'd probably still pack like a decoy that has a fan and use it yeah but i wouldn't be like fanning a turkey and just holding that thing right next to my head i think that's a bad idea i think so too i've had a lot of people ask about that it's like what do you feel like it's unsafe i'm like yeah it is unsafe in general i mean if you're hunting a place where you don't know what other hunters are around or you can't predict that for sure man throwing up a I mean, turkey that's, fan that's in front of your some face sta- some states you know i think it's pennsylvania uh says that you can't you can't hunt you can't stalk with a decoy i think is how that how they put it would well, be smart i mean it's not it's definitely not out of the question i'm sure if we looked pretty hard we'd find a lot of examples of guys getting popped using turkey fans yeah, I was getting shot. Seth, who's from Pennsylvania, says there's quite a few every year, and I mean, turkey hunting just lends itself to that. I mean, think about it, man. All these people out there, not taking their naps, got up at three thirty <laughs> in the morning, and now it's eleven, and like you've had three tough days of hunting, and now you hear one that's hammering. You go over the ridge, and you happen to see the fan decoy instead of the gobbler that's two hundred yards to the right or whatever. You're just like, well, I'll shoot him right there. It'd be real easy yeah. to be hazy and not. Yeah, and there you are with your head behind a fan, and every once in a while you're looking out, but, I mean, you're really presenting the thing people want to see. Oh, yeah, and my fan you know. doesn't have, my fan's got a red head attached yeah, to your it. Fan, yeah, your fan's so, got everything you'd want to see. So exactly. All the visual fan, cues. Like, <laughs> right there at the base of the neck. <laughs> 
So yeah, I mean, just I guess be smart. But I think as a turkey hunting community, we have to we're gonna have to figure that out. It's a relatively relatively new phenomenon that guys are carrying turkey fans around. Um, so hopefully it doesn't become a big big issue. But it's certainly something to think about and talk about. I say. Oh yeah, I think most people know that you need to be. I think with decoys in general, I mean this is a little more dangerous because you are like working the decoy in your hand. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think most people are pretty aware of that. True, true. All right, well, you you have your big Latvian eagle paddle call, a giant box call. There. Mm-hmm. But I got a new one. Oh, you got a new one? Yeah, now I got one that I can actually put into my turkey vest because the that long handle, <laughs> or what they call them. Uh, what is the actual name for the long box call? I don't know. Is there a name for it? I was just making Pat- up a Latvian name. Paddle call is paddle one. Call. That's what I always call them, paddle call. But there's yeah. something else. It might just be a long right. box call. Anyways, yeah, I got a one-sided box call from um, a fellow by the name of J.D. Peck. Martin Brothers is the name of his uh, company, Gobbler's Choice. Ooh. And uh, our buddy Guy Zuck fine-tuned it for me. And uh, She sounds good. It's pretty sweet. There's a guy wrote in, Bill Reyes from Canyon, Texas. And he was asking about, is there a specific type of wood that you prefer for your calls? He said that I seem like a knowledgeable turkey hunter. I don't think he knows me well. Um, and is there a call maker you would recommend? What do you think? I never really thought about types of wood, honestly. I just pick a call up and feel it and, and slam on it and no, see No, man, that's sounds. beyond me. It, I think you have to have like a musician's ear to be able to hear the, the nuanced difference between if it's a, a butternut or a cherry or what, whatever. The, I think that new box call I have is butternut and ipe are the two different ones. I've heard, I've heard a lot of like mahoganies over the year, like people say mahoganies good. I've also heard say, people say poplar is good. I don't know. Walnut, I've heard, is nice. Yeah. I think it just think depends a, on the call I think maker. a lot of uh, slate bottoms are made out of cherry. But I, I have no personal preference. I pick it up, and if it sounds, sounds good, good, I'm going to roll with it. I'm but there is, really... a, there is a groove you get. I think you get in this groove with all calls where you kind of hit it enough where you know exactly, you know, like it's like a musical instrument. It's like playing the violin. Like you kind of just know how to play it once yep. you've used it long enough. I mean, you certainly can make the notes if you just pick it up for the first time. But when you're having a conversation with a turkey, I that, that organ bird, I called him back in with a box call with an old wet willy call my dad had given me when I was a kiddo um, or I had since I was real young. And it just, I just know how to play the call. It's a piece of shit. Like it's, it's no good. Like it's, it's, it probably just needs to replace, but I kind of just have done it so much with that thing that I know. Uh, yeah. If it calls some turkeys, I don't think I'd be replacing it. Uh, it's just kind of falling apart. I need to, I need to fix no, it, well, fix it up. In that case, you have to do that. So, so yeah, Bill, I, I have no, no Bill, help for Bill. Sorry, Bill. We're just we're useless in this, but we're about to get I, to. I would call. Well, he did ask who makes who, who's who are some good call makers. He did ask he? that. He did ask that. Yeah. He, listen, I, I'm I've gone all the way from like custom calls to I had a custom market in Iowa make a slate call for a hunt I did, and then a guy over in Maryland, um, a buddy of mine, have another custom box call made, and those things are they're both great calls, and I use them, but I. I wouldn't put it past like a Nightingale or a Primos. I've picked 
some of those calls up and thought they sounded really good. Sometimes they'll, those factory calls will, will feel chintzy when you pick them up, but you, you strike them and they sound great. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I guess my advice there is as bad as it. my advice for the type of wood is, man, you kind of have to go through them. And I don't know that I've ever run into a custom call that sounded so much better than a store-bought factory manufactured call that I could say one way or the other. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Um, I haven't messed around with the custom calls too much. There's a guy by the name of Albert Paul who might have quit making calls now. Um, and I think that his field grades were running right around a hundred bucks. Um, the guys that mentored me early on all ran his box call. Um, so it was the best. Like I said, that new one I got from JD Martin, that one's only 25 bucks. It's a steal Oh yeah. for a, a, a call that's not, you know, mass produced. I like it. Um, who else? Yeah, Jason Phelps, obviously, we like his uh, diaphragm calls. Yeah, Cal was running some of his diaphragm calls. They sounded really good, man. Yeah. They were striking up some Texas turkeys like you wouldn't believe. Um, really good, but I want to move on to kind of the reason, well, maybe one of the reasons I'm here. Maybe it's one of the reasons you're here as well. This podcast uh, is includes an interview with a man named Colonel Tom Kelly. Um, I traveled to, a couple weeks back, traveled to Bethesda, Maryland, to where uh, Colonel Tom currently lives, and was able to uh, track him down in uh, an apartment in a high-rise in Bethesda, Maryland, where he lives now, um, following the passing of his wife, his his daughter, and family live there. He's 93 years old, um, and he's a bit of a, like, kind of in an assisted living situation where he has nurses that come and people that come and clean his apartment. And, but he's still, for for being 93 years old, he's, he's as intelligent and spry as he always, I imagine he would have been in his prior years. Um, and I think it's an important conversation. It's very important to me because this man's work, uh, mainly his book, The 10th Legion, but some of his other books have... Maybe I, inspired me is is maybe a, a word that's too trite, but definitely some of the most creative storytelling around turkey hunting there ever has been, and a person that has been able to capture what it is to be a turkey hunter, to be a co- part of the culture better than anyone that I've ever read. Um, so that's what's made him a legend, made him the poet laureate, as a lot of people call him, of turkey hunting. So that's my opinion, but what, what do you think there, Jan, about colonel tom kelly yep I, i'd agree with you I've, i haven't read any of his other work other than the 10th legion but i've probably read that book three or four times in the last dozen years is again same crew that uh mentored me early on um gave me that book in my first or second turkey season and said read this and this will explain a lot about it and uh it's cool because like you said it talks about the culture and what it means to be a turkey hunter and then he gets into tips and tactics as well and um mostly what i get out of it man is just like the respect that he feels that you know the turkey demands and deserves and uh i think you can tell that he would feel that way about all wildlife you know i think that's you know we probably share those same values with him you know yeah yeah i mean i asked him if if I don't want to spoil the interview, so we'll get to it here in a minute, but I asked him if he could have a conversation with the last turkey that he would ever kill, what would he say? You know, what would he 
say to the turkey? And he just said something to the effect of, I wish you weren't the last one. I wish there was another one behind you. I was like, it just, he's a 93-year-old man who's definitely got less days ahead of him than there, there are behind him. And like he still has a hunger like to do it. He was sitting there at this fairly like poorly adorned apartment uh, with a walker and it just, you know, it seemed like he had been transplanted into a place that he wasn't comfortable, but still in front of him were turkey hunting books and a box call he was working on. And he maybe didn't, you know, you'll hear in a minute, like he might've struggled through some of the details of his life because he's 93 and he's not as sharp as he once was. But when you talk about turkeys, you can hear it in his voice. Like it's still, still there. Passion. Still has the passion, which says something about him, but also something about turkeys that that he's it still captivates him the way it captivates us now so maybe when we're 93 we'll be lucky enough to still have that have that drive i'm sure we will yeah yeah I'm, yeah because those turkeys they'll have the ability to humble us no matter uh how long we hunt and how much we think we in quotes figure them out you know yeah and i think there's really no better way to say goodbye to this turkey season by by um then by talking to tom kelly colonel tom kelly um it's a good conversation again please remember that that tom did his best to work through this very respectful with his time um but he is getting up there in age so he's probably not um what he once was as far as his memory and and some of the ways that we went through the interview but regardless man what a gem and he still had a lot of one-liners for us um in there so you want to you have any you know final thoughts on colonel kelly that you want to keep people out i mean the words that you remember or you know kind of what the 10th mm, legion means you know, to you you know what stuck out last time when i read it is it, i think he wrote it it's like 65 ish maybe mm. yeah so in the early 70s early 70s maybe yeah um there's definitely a lot of stuff that's dated and some of the stuff was his, some of his ideas were maybe proven very right or just like wrong. Like he was talking about how some guys when calling them, they'll even scratch their hand in the leaves to make it sound like a turkey scratching. And I don't know about that. And I'm like, well, that right there is a tried and true tactic that is that will fool the wary gobbler that has had enough of your calls. But if he's like, but man, there's a hen over there scratching in the leaves, you know? <laughs> uh, so that was pretty funny to read, to read that this year and be like, yeah, but Tom, it does work. You know, we figured it out 40 years later that it really works well. Um, but uh, no, I don't know if I have any like big, big thoughts on or any quotes from that book off the top of my head. Um. The one I guess that does stick with me though is I think it's towards the end of the book and where he says like what you're not allowed to do in that game that you play with that turkey is that when you have him dead to rights you don't you don't you can't let him walk because it's disrespectful to him and to you. Disrespectful to the game. Disrespectful to the game. Well good. We'll say goodbye to this turkey season. Um and we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll pick this conversation up next turkey season. But we're gonna transport ourselves over to Bethesda, Maryland, 
to talk to the legendary Tom Kelly. I imagine this is one of the very few podcasts he's ever been on and the few conversations he'll have going forward about Turkey. So enjoy it. I enjoyed it. It's a bit of a time capsule for us. And I believe this man not only to be our poet laureate for turkey hunting, but um, you know the key to a cache of 80 years of turkey hunting stories and expertise. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation. We'll take you there right now. Mr. Kelly, how are you today? Colonel fine, Kelly? Fine, thank you. Thanks for thanks for joining me and having me into your home here in, in, it. in Bethesda. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about, um, but the first one is why do you think turkeys was the thing that you became famous for writing about? The thing that I think really triggered me into it was my wife. Uh, we were going someplace, and she said something to me, and she said, you know, I hear you telling all these stories to people about this. You might ought to write that down, and maybe somebody would want to would want to listen to it. And I had no idea about, about doing anything like that. And I said, all right, I'll try that. And I had been, at that time, I had been writing. I had been selling an occasional story to Feel and Stream and Outdoor Life, and I used to sell some to... Uh, uh, the one Sports Illustrated. I used to sell them Sports oh, Illustrated yeah. before they fell out of love with killing things, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I I did that and I started doing it, and then that triggered the whole damn thing. That that triggered to me. Uh, I'm not at all interested in big game hunting. I mean, I I do not want to when I hunt something. This may be cowardice, but when I hunt something, if I lose, I want to lose. I don't want to lose some arms and legs or get my head gnawed off. <laughs> I don't want to hunt elephants where I'll be trampled by the damn elephant if I if I do something wrong. Yeah, I'm a hunter, not a sufferer. <laughs> and and that really is what triggered the whole thing on anything else. And and then once it started, uh, the first book I did was Tenth Legion. And Tenth Legion is, uh, oh Jesus, Tenth Legion must be in its. You're right. I don't know. I don't know how many editions. I I just don't know. Uh, I think it's twenty some. Some twenty some. At least some. twenty yeah. some. Nineteen seventy three. Yeah. When that yeah, book yeah, came out. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course that triggered it. And then and then when that triggered it. And then in hunting you just meet a lot of nice folks. Yeah. You really do. You meet a lot of. I nice agree. Folks. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then because I think the quite what people love about that book, what I love about that book is the the way you articulated the motivation of the turkey hunter, our our relationship with the turkey, yeah, yeah, and our interactions with yeah, the turkey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if if somebody if somebody would go, I don't know, I don't have any goddamn idea how many turkeys I've killed. <laughs> I mean, I've been hunting them since nineteen thirty eight. All right, and 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 uh, uh, and when I began to kill turkeys fairly regularly, I wish to God I had kept a, 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 a journal. Yeah, I mean, if it was no more than hunted here and hunted there and hunted this and did this and did that and did the other thing, but okay, okay. So if, if I've been hunting turkeys for fifty years, well, more than that, now. more than that, now. say almost seventy years. Seventy years. If I've been hunting turkeys for seventy years, and and if I've killed four or five turkeys a year, that's 
whatever four or five times 70 is, 3,500, something like Three, that. Yeah, 350 turkeys like that. 200 or something. 350, 400 turkeys in your life if you if we were to round up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of interactions with one animal. Yeah, and, 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 and the thing about it is I don't care how, how much you've done it and I don't care how, how good you get at it, every damn year one of them is going to do something to you and you're going to think, how in the hell could I have been that damn dumb? <laughs> it never gets old. Yes. It never, never, ever gets old. You feel, and you feel that all turkey hunters have have a hubris, have a confidence that you get to a point where you think a bird's going to do something you think you haven't figured out. Like, why do we continue to re- return to this confidence? Because we don't, because he, he, he will destroy it. If you get that much confidence, he's going to break your neck with you. <laughs> uh, it, one, of the, one of the marvelous things about, about doing it, if, if, if you told me, that I could never kill another turkey, I could still enjoy taking people. Because you can take somebody, and a turkey's got one characteristic, he cannot hear a whisper. If you talk like this, you can hear one, and you can sit. When I take somebody hunting, I sit right here behind him. Yeah. Where I can look over his shoulder. That way, if he shoots me with the shotgun, he's got to turn it around and take <laughs> off his boot and pull the trigger with his toe. So and I ain't going to sit there and wait for him to do that. But if, if, if you can, you can, and you can whisper him all the way to the gun. Yeah. You can say, here he comes, here he comes. Let him get behind that tree. Now, don't do anything. And you can talk him all the way up there and do it. And you can have a, if you told me I could never kill another turkey, I've killed enough. Uh, I like to eat them. But if you told me if I, I could never kill another turkey, I could get a pile of enjoyment out of taking other people turkey hunt. Now, as long as I'm, as long as I can get about like this. Yes, uh, this this can't go on. I mean, you know, I ain't, you've, you've moved it along more than most folks. Well, I've I moved along, but I ain't going to last to 108 or 116. <laughs> so the end is out there, and and just hopefully it'll come quick. <laughs> well, you said you just turned 93 two days ago. So 93. Yeah, happy 93. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank um, you. Happy belated birthday. Yeah. I want to take you all the way back to to where you were born and kind of go okay. through a little bit of yep. of how you came to to I, be to I, be Tom, the Colonel Tom Kelly of turkey hunting. I was born in South Alabama, born in Mobile. Yes sir. And uh uh and it was uh, in 1927, May 15, 1927. And uh the uh early years uh you know, kids growing up playing football, all that kind of stuff. The early years, when I when I got to, to be, well, World War II came along. See, when World World War II came along, I was fourteen. Well, I wanted at that point in time. I really wanted to. You could you could, you could go in the service. The draft was at eighteen. The draft started at eighteen, but you could go in the service at seventeen. Well, I wanted to go in the service at seventeen. And my daddy was willing to let me go, but my mama wasn't. And I, I can understand that. No, yes, no mama wants a seventeen-year-old boy out there getting shot at. That, that's pretty common. And he, and expect and especially early in the game like that when we were not doing well at all. Mm. In fact, we were getting the shit kicked out of us. <laughs> and and you had to 
Nobody could do anything about that. But I finally, I got in, and I got into service. And uh, uh, I got in, uh, I, got, I got in just before I got drafted, so I could pick my, pick my location. And I was a backseat gunner at Dive Bombers, SB2Cs. SBDs first, and then SB2C, and then later in the war, when when it was obvious that everybody was moving, we we ended the war in Europe. We had won that one, and and the Japanese, we were having a hell of a time with the Japanese. Everybody was, there. and everything was moving and moving that way and moving that way and moving that way. I have not seen the operations order. I expect the operations order would fill two box calls, but. The, uh, we were seriously expecting something like 20 million casualties by the time we took the Japanese islands. And at that time, population of the United States was 150 million, yeah. 160 million, something like that. It, it would have been. See, I never did get. I never did get into combat. Oh, okay. Just everything was moving there. Everything was going. Everything was going. Everything was going. And then, boom! It was ending. And of course, at that time, when you're 17 years old, you're immortal. I mean, you think you line up 217 year olds out there and tell them tomorrow morning, all of the people standing in the damn ranks would be dead except two. And you'd think, Jesus, I'm going to miss these guys. <laughs> when you get to be 42 and yeah. you tell them that four people in those ranks are going to be dead, you go home and sit over your bunk and work. <laughs> you know your mortality. That's, that's, that's why you, that's why you got, that's why, that's why soldiers and sailors and, and people in combat arms, it's just for the young. Yeah. Because they, they just, don't believe anything can happen to them, and that's all right now. Well, and when when the war was over, um, you went back to Alabama. Well, I went back to Alabama, but well, what happened then? Then the Korean War came along. Yes, sir. Well, see, when I got out, I thought, okay, now uh, I'll just stay in. I'll, I'll just uh, 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 automatically I went into reserves. Well, then when the, when the Navy called me up and said, now we're going to begin to call folks back in. And I said, well, now I've graduated from school, and uh, is it not possible that I could get a better job? And they said, well, I don't know whether you can get a better job or not. We don't know what the hell you can do. Well, that, that, then they were calling up National Guard divisions, and I had some friends in the 31st Infantry Division, and I went and talked to them. And took the physical and went to Montgomery and was was signed up <laughs> and commissioned as a second lieutenant of artillery. Yeah, in twenty four hours, <laughs> <laughs> I was the most unqualified second lieutenant of artillery <laughs> you ever saw in your life. But I did know how to use a machine gun and a, and an artillery battery has got in it. Uh, a, a self-defense unit that's got machine guns in it and rifles, and I could shoot. I could I could shoot a shotgun and shoot a rifle. Well, you, and then of course, once I got in there and stayed in there and liked it, well then and then and then I began to get promoted, and then I got to the point where you were making a little bit of money at it, and 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 then one thing led to another, and I served. I think I ended up with something like 38 years service. Wow. 
part. They don't they don't give you the same amount of time for reserve service as they do for active service. But it it's it's a pretty decent. It's it's a hell of a. And see, you you you're eligible for all kinds of hospitalization stuff as a veteran, a double veteran. Yeah. Well, when people call, we, they, everyone calls you Colonel Tom Kelly. I just wanted well, to make I sure. Well, I made Bud Colonel. I wanted to make sure that everyone yeah, understood. I, that. <laughs> I want to make sure everybody understood well, yeah. the history behind that yeah, title. Yeah, because, you know, uh, <laughs> there's, there, I forget the damn thing. I don't know. It, it, it was common in the South to, to call everybody a colonel, <laughs> whether they ever got to be. You were an actual colonel. You were an actual colonel. I really was a colonel, no shit. I've heard some people ask, is he, does he call himself Colonel Tom Kelly because he, he's a colonel of the 10th Legion? I said, no, that is not correct, sir. That's right. He's an that's actual right. colonel. So I just wanted to make United sure. United States Army. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that people knew that's the United States Army. Right, right. And right. this man... Was a part of uh, two theaters of war, and going back to your upbringing, because I definitely want to talk about your first turkey and all those, all those things. Why do you love Alabama so much? You've written about it, you talk about it. We're not in Alabama now, but like I know that's where your heart is and where your soul. I, well, is. I knew it. I knew the people, uh, and and then working working as I did in the woods with that many people. So you, you know, whoa, Boston. Boston, six hundred and twenty-five or thirty people mm-hmm. is, is is a lot of folks, and 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 you get to you you get you get a real feeling for people and what they can do, and it does a lot of good for a southerner in getting rid of some of these prejudices against black and white. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of instances. We played it. We played it strictly on what you could do. And I had a lot of instances where I had black crew leaders. Uh, a normal logging crew for us was a four-man crew. Yes, sir. Well, it was really, it was a three- or four-man crew. You had the boss, and then you had a, a saw hand with him, and then you had a truck driver. And and the truck driver went and came and rode, rode the truck, went and brought, brought his own truck to the bill. He loaded his truck at night and brought it home with him. When he got up early in the morning, he went to the mill wherever he was delivering, and he was the first one in line. While he was there, the crew chief picked up the other guy in the crew, and they went out there and started running the skitter and pulling stuff into piles. Mm. When the truck driver got through, he came out there, loaded his truck, and went. And that went on all the time. And, and the, the whole thing put together it was it was a, they were a very lively group and and I had in a lot of instances uh whites working for blacks yeah and I've had guys tell me, Mr. Tom, I don't want so and so I don't want him he and I ain't gonna get along together and in every case, I went with him hmm. if you were bossing the crew, you had to write to put anybody in your crew that you wanted to so long as he could pass the physical and do the stuff. Uh, this and was, it made for an absolutely level society. Well, in 1953, right, you took a position with the Scott Paper Company, mm-hmm. and then you oversaw, you did that for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. You oversaw 600 employees or more mm-hmm. at any at any given time. Mm-hmm. 
Is they that were that that, and I I really and truly miss them. Yeah, I miss them yet. I can see it. I, I, could, I miss I could, them yet. Yeah, I, 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 no question about it. I miss and them. And is that is that you know why you you love Alabama so much is the people, the people, the people, the people. Yeah. And I I probably could have would have done the same thing someplace else. But I was there. I knew the country. I knew the people. I knew the land. I knew the timber. I like to hunt and fish. And in Alabama, there's a hell of a lot of hunting and fishing goes on right now. <laughs> so you get all the migratory stuff besides the native stuff. Yeah. Well, it feels like for your generation, you had a, a very normal, normal up, uh, upbringing and a very oh yeah, and a very you know a lot of people in your generation went to war and came back and and worked for the same company for a very long time. And yeah. my grandfather was very much the same. Yeah. So it seems like you had a very typical you know life. Yeah. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. But what what where I would say it's not typical is is your ability to to take the stories these stories that you had not only in the woods because there's you've written twenty five books right more or, yeah, yeah maybe like twenty five or yeah, twenty six yeah. books not just about hunting but to be able to articulate your experiences in a way that like inspires people it's inspired me to be a better turkey hunter more mindful turkey hunter yeah to see the bird in a different way like what. What do you think is has allowed you to do to do I that? I have no idea. The luck of the draw. It's it's how come you got brown eyes instead of black eyes, or big ears instead of little ears. It's just uh, and then then uh, I I am I am pretty much interested in everything except going to Africa and shooting elephants. I ain't interested <laughs> in that, but I'm pretty much interested in everything. And uh uh. uh as a rule, uh, even now, uh, and I read a lot. Yes, sir. Jesus, I'm, I must read. I must read three books a week. Well, as we sit here, there's books piled yeah. on well, the they, table they, in front of books, us. Books, 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 newspapers, and books yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, magazines. Well, I mean, I, that's the appreciation that, that I have for you and your work. Um, but there, there's it's more than that. It's like an understanding of, like I said earlier, an understanding of our relationship with with the turkey mm-hmm. and so i guess to understand how you were able to do that we should we should start at the very beginning then you well you know and then and, and too uh shit you learn something the day you die yeah if you if you if you if you at yourself i yeah. mean if you fall into a coma no but if you at yourself something will come up or somebody will come in and say something it'll be something brand new always learning yeah 1938, you killed your first turkey. Hmm? I heard I heard a story about 1938, you killed your first turkey. Yeah, 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 yeah. You tell me about that. And went out in the woods and sat down and started calling. And finally, I saw him coming, two of them. Uh, uh, I had no, and I had, didn't pay any attention to whether they were hens or gobblers. And when they got in close, in close range, I killed one of them. And when I went out there and picked it up, I thought, oops, <laughs> oops. Uh, I have never, I have never officially admitted that, and I. Well, think the statute of limitations. The statute of yeah. limitations has still got me going. <laughs> I think you're covered. We're talking. Yeah, yeah. We're talking in generations. Yeah. Past. But, but it, it's a, it was a, and that, and that triggered it. Yeah. And after that, I kept up dove hunting, uh, uh, and of course, dove hunting, marksmanship. 
Yes, sir. I mean, you know, you get out there. And and then uh, uh, fairly late in my career, I stumbled over Snipe. And if you have been if you have been killing the limit of doves out of a box of shells regularly, and you take up snipe hunting, you are going to be disappointed because you ain't going to kill that many of them. <laughs> they ain't the same thing all together. We used to trick as a kid. We used to trick folks and tell them we were taking them snipe hunting. Yeah, well, yeah, but it, it's not. It's not. It. As a matter of fact. A, I got a book over there called Reflections on Snipe that was done by there. There are something like 15 or 16 separate species of snipe. Mm. Snipe is worldwide. Yes, sir. It's in every, it's in every country, but uh, it ain't at the South Pole. <laughs> but it's from, every, it's from every country on down from Canada, and it's, a, uh, it's good. And a snipe's great. Snipe tree. He he reminds you of a woodcock. A woodcock is fatter, and he flies. A woodcock's easier to kill. A snipe's tough, man. He's listen. He's going everywhere. Makes you a marksman, right? No, you damn right. <laughs> What's the, the first time you heard a, a turkey gobble? First time I heard a turkey gobble, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> my my, I had an uncle who worked in the shipyard at Pascagoula, and he had a friend named Kennedy, and. The Kennedys had they had three boys. They had a boy younger than me, and a boy older than me, and a boy uh, who was my age, Pete. And Pete sort of well, their daddy worked for my uncle, and their daddy lived just north of Pascagoula, Mississippi, and I lived in Mobile, and I had gone over there to visit my uncle, and Pete and I hit it off together, and he started taking me with him, mm. and that's when, that's the first time I heard gobble uh, with Pete, and I thought it was a dog barking. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> and he said, no, that's a turkey, and, and that, that triggered it. And from then on out, it's, it's been turkeys, turkeys, turkeys all the way. What about the first time that you made a turkey gobble with your calling abilities? Uh, the first time, well, what, what, I, what, what I fell into the trick of doing, I got one of these, one of these box yelpers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, and, I'd, and I'd, I'd hear, you'd hear a turkey gobble, and you'd, I'd try to get pretty close. And then, and then uh, the first time I heard one gobble, I knew what it was. I knew it was him. It, it's a, it's a, you know, when, when you don't know nothing, and when it was, my uncle didn't know the first damn thing about turkey hunting, he'd kill some turkeys on deer drives. You sit out there with your shotgun on deer drives, and when the, when the, when the dogs are running the deer past the standards, I'd, I'd sit there with, on the first gun I had was a single barrel. Yeah. You'd sit there with a single barrel, and I'd have, uh, uh, a, a buckshot in the single barrel, but I'd have a, 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 a number six shot in my hand, and you could trigger the gun when you heard it coming. If it wasn't a deer, if you thought it was a turkey, you, you could trigger the gun and put the other thing in there and shoot him. <laughs> 
That's the Look, kid. It's going to tell you anything he owns by you. <laughs> Pigeons, yeah. metal locks, whatever it is. You what is see. it about that when you're a kid that you just you feel like You just this? want something in your hand. You yeah. want to say, I've done it. <laughs> you're right. And that's it's universal for all children. That's right. That's I mean, right. You've got grandchildren now. Well, shit, you got those fangs. <laughs> you know, you're a hunter-gatherer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a gatherer at that age. Yeah, as much as yeah, anything. yeah. You hunt them down and kill them. Uh, our fangs ain't much. <laughs> and our claws ain't much. We have shotguns, And our though. teeth ain't much. <laughs> we got shotguns, though. But we got shotguns. Well, I think... Man, I got so many questions for you. But I, I, I think it's, it's, it makes sense to kind of try to get your perspective on where we are as a modern turkey hunter now and where you began. I mean, you have... Mm-hmm. You have live through the age of turkey hunting and, and before we hit record we were talking yeah yeah we, yeah we were talking about that i think and i think it's just as a natural thing that a lot of people that hunt turkeys today feel because they're so abundant that, that it might have always been that way mm. it may have Ooh. the way it is now might be the way it has been it was a friend of mine named jim andrews he's dead now like most of my friends but Jim Andrews was one of these guys that if you went someplace, Jim Andrews was going to find a damn turkey, and if there was any turkey going to be killed one, Jim Andrews was going to kill it, and he could never explain why. Yeah, you've written about him. Yeah, in the yeah, past, yeah, I've read I've read yeah, many passages yeah, about yeah, where he was buried yeah, and yeah, what direction he might be yeah, traveling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me about him. Uh, Your relationship with him. You talked about him being. I've read that that he just was a turkey magnet. He was. He was. I said he couldn't explain it either. He he couldn't explain it. Either. His daddy was not a turkey hunter. None of his uncles was a turkey hunter. His brother, his brother Henry, was a fighter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 his brother Henry was a great shot, but he was a shitty turkey hunter. <laughs> it, it's it's. I know. Well, I I think the principal characteristic is patience. It's a big bird. It's big enough to be. You 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 create an importance in the bird yourself, uh, and that's what that's what pitches it. That's what pitches it. Yeah. Well, and guys like Jim, I mean, you you've written about this too, like the friendships that we make. Oh yeah. The yeah. connections we well, make. Well, see, Jim and I work together. Yeah. And in fact, as a matter of fact, Jim worked for me. Uh, except when he came to Turkey, and then I worked for Jim. <laughs> What what is it what is it about turkey hunting that makes that like if if not makes friendships like that enhances them and makes them that it's, much it's to people well it, it may be like art appreciation a guy falls in love with painting and then I don't care who he's talking to he wants to talk about painting and painters and how they did this or sculpture and sculpted and how yeah. they did that uh, yeah. and and you know there's all kinds of things that 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 horse over there. Yeah, that black hole. I did that horse. Yeah, I did this. Uh, there's this crap around here that I did. Uh, that that you know you you just you know I don't know. You ask me why in the hell would a guy waste his damn time making a fake unicorn when there ain't no <laughs> such a thing as a real unicorn? And I can't answer the question. <laughs> it just felt like time to make a goddamn unicorn, so I made one. That's fantastic. But yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. I mean, as a as a hunter, as someone who, 
appreciates this. You want to surround yourself with people that have equal passion. Too. That's right. That's right. And for That's somebody right. like you, your passion is unequaled. It's hard to find people that yeah. that can that come to it like you. So then yeah. you end up around exceptional folks like Jim Andrews. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk about. I mean, you, you've written about burying him, you know, or being you know where he was buried and, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out kind mm-hmm. of and going to church and trying to figure yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And the pastor talking about which direction he might have traveled in the afterlife. And you had an experience with some turkeys that you called in. Mm-hmm. You remember that experience? Oh, you yeah, talk about yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. His mama. I never forget when he introduced me to his mama. We, uh, he lived in Camden, which is in North. It's it's uh, it's at the junction with Alabama and the Tom Bigby Rivers up there, and he hunted up around that. And when Jim, when Jim got out of school, he went into cow business. And we broke, and and then he had to he he had to go to work for us for market timber for people, and he was just scratching around making a living any damn way he could make a living, and uh, he uh, he uh, but he never he never he never lost he never got mad at the world because he was he was he didn't have any money and he had five kids, four 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 girls and a boy. And uh, I still correspond with some of the kids. They, 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 we still write a little bit back and forth. But he was just—he was just one of those guys that everybody likes. Mm-hmm. You meet one every once in a while. There ain't many, but you meet one every once. Jim was just one of those guys. Yes, sir. And I guess I guess turkeys just liked him, so they <laughs> came to him when they wouldn't go to anybody. Else. You tell a story about when you went turkey hunting after he died. And there was five, I think five gobblers yeah, that yeah, gobbled yeah, on the yeah, roost yeah, and gobbled yeah, and gobbled yeah, and gobbled. Yeah, yeah. And they flew down out of the tree and there you were with your yeah, call. Yeah. And they would gobble at anything. They'd gobble yeah, at a anything, Tweety Bird. Yeah, they, at one another. Like, they would gobble yeah, at one another. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. would gobble at anything. But they ignored you and anything. Like uh, you were, you did not exist. Uh, you know, and it was if, 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 uh, it, it was, Jim was, Jim Andrews probably the best friend I ever had. He's probably the best friend I have. Right? And you felt that those turkeys gobbling and ignoring you, uh, were, you know, or maybe that, that's a, maybe a, a song that's, for him. That's imagination. That's <laughs> imagination. That's, you wish it was that way, yeah. but you, you don't know that. You, know? Yeah. you you wish it was his eulogy that way. Yeah, that right. those, yeah, the, yeah, those turkeys yeah. were giving yeah, you one yeah, last yeah. chance to to see which direction he might have traveled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business, is dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. 
Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know, super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Well, the 10th Legion is, I think, the thing that most people, it's the thing that I've re- I read it before every turkey season. I know a lot of the folks that I work with do the same thing and it's inspired since it was published in 1973. I mean, it's, it's inspired many, many turkey hunters. And I remember, and I remember reading. So the 10th Legion was, was published in 1973 and it has inspired me to be a turkey, a more, a more involved turkey hunter and inspired many people to go and try it. I think we we uh and of course the guy that my partner we we it's a new edition coming out yeah it's a new edition coming out and the new book is uh well the new book is I have it here it's called uh you're still writing books at ninety three yeah yeah it's called infinite variety is that correct uh, infinite variety and he says the title comes from Shakespeare's play yeah Anthony yeah, and Cleopatra yeah, yeah. I, I I am Probably one of the last few Shakespeare readers. <laughs> I area. read a lot of Shakespeare. Especially in the turkey hunting community. Yeah, yeah. Age cannot wither her, nor no custom cut, no stale. stale. Her infinite His variety. Infinite variety. Yeah. Every time you go out there, he's going to teach you something. Every time you go out there, he's going to outsmart you in some fresh way you never thought of. And it's, it's never going to get old. It's magical. Magic. It's magic. Absolute magic. When you write the when you write I have some quotes here from from the Tenth Legion, not that you need need me to quote it, but when you you've inspired a lot of people, people call you the poet laureate of turkey hunting. You like that title? 
sells books. <laughs> <laughs> that it does. It sells books. It, to me, the, the Tenth Legion is not a book, really. Well, it's an explanation of t- turkey hunters. It's it's a it's an ex- it's an explanation of a thought process. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. It is. And it's it's called the Tenth Legion because you felt like. Of Caesar's tenth, yeah, Caesar's tenth legion, and the, the members, the members of the turkey hunting army are that's right. are that's right. are. Uh, you have said like exhibit dogged determination, mm-hmm. much like the army of yeah. the tenth Caesar's yeah. tenth yeah. legion, yeah. and that's why that's yeah. titled so. Yeah. And now a hell of a lot of people with exactly those thought processes. That's right. Or there wouldn't be that many folks in the National Wild Turkey Federation. <laughs> Well, I remember when you said when you began hunting, there was only, you know, you you remember writing this book and thinking maybe 150 people in the world might care. Yeah, because I, 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 when I figured, I, I, I can't remember what I paid the guy to write it, it seemed. Uh, uh, Theo Gosen Sons in, in, in New York, and it seems to me I did 500 copies, and I think I paid him $1,450 or some such thing as that. And I figured it did, did, did uh, There'd be at least some guys I knew that didn't know I could read and write. They'd buy one out of curiosity, and they would be. And 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 if he quit right there, I would probably have gotten my money back. And if not, then I had a lifetime supply of Christmas presents. <laughs> Turned out to be a little bit more than that. Good, good deal, better than that. <laughs> well, I think many like. Many people regard it as not only just it's it's about people, right? Oh yeah, it's, it's about, about people. People. It's not a. Yeah, it's I not about. I don't ten, write about turkeys. I write about people and yeah. what they do in one specific line. Yeah. yeah. So it's not tips and tactics. If anybody hasn't read it, shame on you. But if you haven't, it's not. You're not going to get the tips and tactics. There's some in there. Oh yeah, yeah, there, yeah plenty there, in there. Yeah, a lot of people going to read and say, well, "What the fuck this guy's talking about?" You know? <laughs> well, there's there is a thing you said that many people who hunt turkeys do so with an attention to detail, a regard for strategy, tax, and operations, and disregard for personal comfort and convenience that ranks second only to war. Yeah, to sit out there and freeze your butt off in the cold rain, you know, hoping a turkey might come. You got to be a little bit twisted. (laughs) I'm pretty twisted. Yeah, okay. Welcome to the lodge. (laughs) You still you still believe at the age of ninety three you have have that same passion? I mean, you, you, oh yeah, it's, it's in not, you. It, it, it's it, never going to leave. It ain't a bit of change. Ain't a bit of change. Never going to leave. I, 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 uh, uh, the, um, I've already accepted an invitation or two to go hunt next year. I wow. mean, you can you can sit in that damn thing right there. Oh yeah, you can fold that up and put it in the back of a pickup truck, dude. And somebody can take me out in the woods to where they've hood one gobble. And dump me off and say, I'll come back and get you at 930. And I can yeah. hunt. I can hunt up and down the road. Oh, it's like a, yeah, can to point to a little walker over there. You can yeah, sit right I, in that I thing. Can, you know, I can get out. I can walk. I walk I walk probably now a mile a day. Really? I walk the phone, the, the, the calls, Here. down and back and yeah. down and back and down and back. I got an exercise lady that comes by. And uh, I, she comes three days a week and, and does things like... Uh, Breathing exercises and balance exercises and all this kind of stuff. She's real good. Ah, I got to get me one of those. She's an English woman. <laughs> she is. As a matter of fact, she, uh, 
Yeah, she 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 has just been home to England. I oh. mean, just been home to England. Got children, and and does this as a living. So uh, you're 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 gonna it, get around. Yeah, so I and I get around great. I mean, uh, and you know, to get out there to to be able to now I don't drive. Uh, I sold my car. Yeah, uh, and 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 uh, 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 but and it was better. It was. I didn't really want to leave home, but my wife did not realize she was dying and really expected to 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 be at home. Yeah. And then with her gone, and my daughter worried about how I was doing and what I was doing and when I was doing it, it was just more comfortable for her to me move up here. Yeah, where she she can drive here in thirty minutes. Be, and, find, yeah. and find out what I'm doing, and and <laughs> and, and make sure I'm taking my keep track and, and doing all keep these. Keep you from mischief. Yeah. Right. Well, you be, you got a little furniture. You're building furniture up here in this 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 apartment. No, no, most of this I built before I got here. Yeah. I I can do some stuff here, and I've done a little. Uh, not much since I've been here, but I can. And as soon as I get through with with my with my saws and hammers and things over there that I got, I can I can go back. I I got a chair I need cane, and I'll cane that chair first, and then I'll go back to doing it. But between writing and reading and caning chairs, and uh, I stay pretty busy. You are busy, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna just want to like uh, in my head as I as I'm turkey hunting, you are the narrator. Like you, when I'm turkey hunting, I've read your book so many times that some of the things that you've written become and the turkey's coming in i'm mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. the words of that book and i think that's probably true for a lot of people so i i i have i have people say that to me all the time well you know you never know what another guy's thinking but i, I mean, enough people have said the same thing enough people well enough people at the uh at the convention when i'm sitting there a lot of folks will buy books, and uh, we we sell books. And we have a we have a booth every year. Yeah. David Clark and I together have a booth. We sell books, and I sign books and talk to kids. And a lot of people, a lot of people want me to to they take a picture of a kid sitting on my knee, <laughs> or they take a picture of me holding a kid. And 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 uh, 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 I I think I, I don't know. I think maybe they think if they do it. And if they talk about it, and if they meet me, uh, I think I think it forms a society, mm. and I think that's why they do it. Yeah, because God knows I ain't pretty. <laughs> 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 well, you've been working with that that uh, lady that comes and gets you the fitness, yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah, pretty spry. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, 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 mean, I think I it's true. I never have known why a woman marries who she marries anyway, you know. I, I, I don't want my wife to figure that out either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I do think that one of the things that is important to me is that when you have an idea or like an appreciation for something and someone else is able to articulate or explain your feeling for that thing in a way that you never could, which is what you were able to do for so many people for turkey mm-hmm. hunting. I feel like it develops some a relationship. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, yeah, because because a lot of folks, a lot of folks, when I sign stuff for them, 
who want me to put something on there about this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And you can't, really. I mean, if a guy comes in and it's fine, it's right, Tom Kelly, or best wishes, or, or good luck next year. But if he if he wants a, a, an intellectual dissertation of why he and I think alike, I can't write that. <laughs> you know, I just can't do it. Yeah, because I think people end up kind and of... And a lot of folks will want that. I yeah. mean, they'll do this and they'll do that. And, and they'll want something for their son. And then they'll want something for the other son. And they want me to say one thing for one son. <laughs> and, and some of them pull out a piece of paper and start reading what they want me to write. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, do you, do you, did you ever foresee that you would be signing books and that people would think of you in the way that some do? No. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like, well, you know, I, I, it's like I said, I, I went into it with no sense of, with no sense of anything. I, I like it, and I like to tell people what I like to do. Hmm. Well, when, you, when you go to a football game, you got a, you got a special team that you like to win. Because you remember Bart Starr, you remember yeah. uh, the Green Bay Packers back when they used to be the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> so, Tom, that you feel, what do you what do you think? You say your wife really is is one of the main reasons why you started writing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How? What did she think about your your success and fame? She, my wife, worked for the FBI, hmm. and. Uh, uh, well, when I when I got out of school, my wife was born in a sawmill town, born in a sawmill town. Her daddy worked for the sawmill. And her daddy, his name was Leon Bosley, and he was one of those kind of guys that everybody liked him. There was no way not to like Leon Bosley. I don't give a damn who you <laughs> were. There was no way not to like Leon Bosley. For instance, he was, I was, uh, uh, we, Helen was, she was up there teaching school and, and, uh, at the, at the high school in Century, which is just across the line, just, it's in the Florida Panhandle and it's just across the line from Alabama. She was up there teaching school and I went to work up there for the sawmill and we met and we started dating and then, uh, she, uh, when uh, she knew I was, she knew I was, she knew I was connected. Uh, my connection with the with the service, mm-hmm. and that, and when the Korean War started, that I was going to have to go back. But she she left Century and went to work for the FBI at Mobile as a as a as a secretary at the FBI, and uh, we. We got along great. We we got along great. I, I I cannot remember ever having a crossword with her hmm. from the time I met her until the day she died. Not one time. Wow. And that's 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 unusual. <laughs> that's unusual. <laughs> and I was not. And this was in the days when you know, without the cell phones. When you leave working scattered over the area that I was scattered over, when we when as I got up, we moved back to a town that was just about a mile and a half from the town she was brought up in. Mm. So she was there. She had a mother and her sister was still there, but uh, it was uh, uh, 
you go you you went out in the woods in the morning and and she might and as late as I as far as I had to go and as much as I had to do it might be seven thirty or eight o'clock or eight thirty before I got back never ending never never it was just as smooth as silk all never the time plain that's as smooth. Did she ever hunt with you? Once or twice, and she she went and she said this is fine. But from now on out, if anybody asks me what I like to go turkey hunting, I would tell them thank you, but I've already been. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I have similar. Yeah, similar that's thing. amazing. Separation of church and state. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't out chasing girls or getting drunk <laughs> or or losing money or wrecking cars, and as long as I did that and brought home enough of a paycheck to feed her and the kid, <laughs> it was, that was it. That was it. Um, I I want to just read some of your like some of the quotes from Tenth Legion and right. just talk through some of them with you because I think it. I've been wanting to do that for a long time since I first read your book. Um, I think to the, to the title, there's a quote in there that says, while fall hunting is all about beauty, spring hunting is war. Mm-hmm. Spring hunting, well, spring hunting, you're trying to kill him. Fall hunting is you, 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 uh, you, you know, the woods, the woods in the fall, that's when the woods are pretty. Yeah. I mean, the, the leaves are, Colored the the the, the, uh, the bird migration is on uh, 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 everything out there is, is bright and colorful. It ain't hot anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a lovely place to be if you don't do anything but go out there and wander around. Uh, I used to when I even after I, even after I was working, even after I was managing that track of timber for the sawmill, I, I carried lunch with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, there would be, there would be a lot of places that I would deliberately not eat lunch until I got close enough to go eat lunch there. Because there was just something in the, in the, around the, in the world that soothed you. And it made you feel at home. It made yes. you feel comfortable. It just, uh, 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 it's a, you become at one with the woods, and uh, it would have, it, it would have been to me, it would have been pretty grim to to go to a restaurant every day to eat lunch, or go to the lunch room every day to eat lunch. Or, you know, you, you did that when you were there, but yeah. uh, when when you were on your own, and there was there was there were three four places. There was a place. On the other side of the Atmo Prison Farm, it was, it was rolling terrain, great big damn timber. And uh, uh, a lot of poles, a lot of piling, a lot of saw logs, a lot of everything. And I'd a lot of times make arrangements to be close enough to it where I could go there and eat. It was a couple of places in Choctaw County the same way, up on, up on some high. Choctaw County changes from the flatlands to the, to the, the, combination of upland and, and bottom land with a hell of a lot more hardwood and there were places up there that were just comforting to be in and then the fact that in those kind of places that were comforting to be in with all that variety of timber there were more turkeys did you feel along your life that there was a medicinal quality to, to turkey hunting like it, oh yeah 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 I mean uh well, well, a lot of folks, it's just, did I kill 16 or did I kill six? 
with me, it's a hell of a lot more than that. It's always been a hell of a lot more than that. Always been a hell of a lot more than that. And it, I, I, I often have this, especially in the... Nice. The, the ice machine. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you know this way. <laughs> yeah, every time you got ice, you know yeah. it. I, I think uh, in the springtime, when I go out, it's like you spent you're inside all winter or you're you're mostly inside if you ski or you ice fish yeah, or whatever yeah, you can yeah. get out um spring is just like it's new it's new and then any any build up of anxiety or stress you might have had during the winter months when you couldn't get out as much yeah, yeah. can be erased during that time yes sir uh you experienced that through your your life i imagine all right, let's see what else we got here. The bird possesses a remarkable ability to turn arrogance into hopelessness, mm-hmm. which we've kind of covered. But You think I got his ass now, and you get out there and lap. <laughs> lap. Every time. We, talk, I, we talked about uh, my friend Stephen Ranella talks about how it is that we return to that arrogance having been beaten so many times. Well, yeah, but, well, of course, uh, there, there'll be areas where nobody, I don't, there's some, there's some books that, that uh, show the normal turkey ranges, and, in, 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 and it might cover a whole section and a half, a uh, thousand acres, mm. 1,500 acres. And they they will range across that fifteen hundred acres fairly regularly. They'll they'll handle one part of it in the spring, and when the hens are nesting, and they'll do another part of it when, uh, well, when 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 the, when the acorns get ripe, they they would not be ripe uh, at one time of the year or another. And they and they and and they cover that area pretty pretty comfortably. And and I think it's uh you get it to me working. Working in the woods and being in the woods, especially when I was balking timber for the sawmill, the lower coastal plain is dull because hmm. you got pine and nothing but pine, and you got mucky bottomed hardwood bottoms and nothing but that. You get a little bit north of there, and you begin to get this absolute tremendous variety of species, tremendous variety of timber types, tremendous variety of different areas that a that a that a turkey or any other animal will work in and it's just a an, it, it's just more fun up there than it is down in the flatwoods yeah it is it is i think i've in my life when i think about turkey hunting and i try to think of you say that your friend jim andrews could just think of how a turkey thinks mm-hmm. i feel like that's the skill i'm developing i feel like that's you probably are you uh, probably are. But it's like the one I want to develop at yeah. least. You, know? you probably are. If I can think where he wants to be yeah. or think yeah. where yeah. he's going. Or Ain't no sense in going there because I never see anything over there. But if I go over here, I see him all the time. I'm going there going every damn there. time. And I, I recently moved to, the, moved to the west where you have these big expanses of public land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where you, this year I did it a couple times, where you roll into a place. You know, you don't know anything about the landscape. You know, Anything about the the birds and well, find see, a bird the, and kill the it. The thing is now it's so easy to find out. Yeah, you got you got to you got the resource planning act, which crews every acre in the United States is recruised every ten years. Mm-hmm. And you got maps. 
you got you got you got Google. You can call up a map. You can call up a map on Google. I could call. I can call up a map. You can call up a map on Google, and you can see, and 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 they update the damn thing all along. And if your car is parked in your front yard, they can see it, it sees the car. Yeah, it does see. You can goddamn near read the license tag. Yeah, we have a mapping system now on your phone. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. You can. Yeah. It's called Onyx. You yeah. can see pretty much. You can look at a ridge. You can see the topographical features. Absolutely. Yeah, like absolutely. Go, oh, oh, Turkey would definitely go there. And then yeah. You go and yeah. you find it. Yeah. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. But you do have a leg up. Yeah. That's for sure. This is probably, I don't know, of all the quotes I like, this is maybe my favorite. You have to pay for every bird you kill. And the coin you use to pay for them is time. Time. Right. Time. Right. You cannot hurry. You can't say, I got 30 minutes, I'm going to run out to section 14 and kill a turkey and run right back. <laughs> you can't say to your wife, okay, Thanksgiving's coming and the in-laws are coming down here. I'll, I'll kill a turkey this afternoon and drop it off in the yard <laughs> so you can be cooking it tomorrow when they get here. No schedules. You can't do. You can't. No schedules. Another one you said is you, you don't hunt turkeys because you want to. Yeah. You hunt because turkeys you have to. because you have to. You ain't got no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine a man that's been doing it for 80 years. Yeah, he's, right. He's pretty stuck. He ain't got no choice. Here's another one. You, when you, you, this is a long one, but when you talk about what happens when you're a turkey hunter and how you explain it to other people, you say... He also knows that when he comes back at home empty-handed, as he will do regularly, he will have no satisfactory explanation. He is well aware, for he has met dozens of them, of the numbers of people that will approach him on street corners and in bars and at parties who will open each conversation with, well, did you get him? <laughs> when he answers no, they will be off and running. They will tell him in delighted tones and in the clearest detail, the story of a friend of theirs who has a feeble-minded nephew. <laughs> right. Of how this nephew is occasionally allowed home on leave from the state funny farm. Yeah. How that the last time this poor, defective creature was home, week before last, he went out in the woods just behind the house, sat on a log with a turkey yelper that was given away as a souvenir by a typewriter company in 1937. Yelped twice. And killed a turkey that weighed 23 pounds. That's right. Picked. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the it's explanation it. of it. It's all in it. And that, that story right and there. it's going to happen. Yeah. And it, it explains why it's so magical because you can never, ever, you never master it. You can never get good you at never, it. You, you will never get good at it. Well, you can get good at it, no. but you will never master it. That's right. You will never master it. And every time you feel you have the mastery, that's right. That, that and, crazy and, and, and you, dinosaur will. You you think, how in the hell could I have been so goddamn dumb? But you <laughs> are. <laughs> you really and truly are. <laughs> Another one. My this is the one that I'll close with because I think this is the one that most people. It's at the end of the tenth legion, and I think it it, it really encapsulates everything perfectly. The first turkey that ever came to me on the ground did it a long time ago. I sat there with my hands shaking, my breath short, my heart hammering so hard I could not understand why he could not hear it. The last turkey that came to me last spring had exactly the same effect. Yeah. And the day that this does not happen to me is the day that I quit. 
I don't think I'll quit. I, I think that will be the day that they close the lid of the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> that that final thump, that, <laughs> the one you won't hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you've done this for so long. You've you've put so much into it. You know, it defines a lot of your professional and personal life. Well, and, and then and then of course, God knows, I've gotten some money back. Yeah, that's that's the marvelous thing. And I didn't get into it. I didn't sit down and say, I believe I'll start writing about turkeys and make a pile of money. <laughs> Colonel Kelly, do you, is there something you would say to turkey hunters of the future kind of about your experience as a turkey hunter and what you've been able to do? We need, we need, to, we need to work. Well, I don't, know, I don't know how you could do it, but we, you, we need to, because we are really and truly losing turkey hunters, we're losing hunters every year. Every year, every state, I think, shows a diminution in the number of licenses. That they put. And there's a pile of things. Cruelty to animals. Uh, why do you shoot those poor little innocent things? Why this? Why that? Why that? Why do you take all that trouble? Why don't you spend home and we spend some time at home with your kids instead of running up and down the goddamn road? Uh, that that we've got to get. I think it, 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 we may can do it in time, but we got to get the world to understand that there are different kind of hobbies. And your hobby is simply one of thousands and thousands and thousands of hobbies. Uh, and, and then the fact that you can eat what you is, is, a, is an added thing. It is. But that, we, we got, we got to, if we don't do that, uh, well, it ain't going to be, I don't know how long it's going to be, but we could come to the point where, well, like, uh, for instance, now I think in Australia, you can't own a weapon of any kind. Now, there's places in this country where, yeah, you know, yeah. you I mean, restricted they, they, heavily. They've taken they've taken all deadly weapons away from anybody except pocket knives and stuff like that. But they 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 they're getting it where, and and, and it, the more variety, it, the, the 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 strata needs to be not like this. It needs to be that thick. <laughs> Where you can play in any in any part of it you want to play, yeah. and stay out of jail. <laughs> right about that. I think the last question I have for you is: If you could speak to, say, the last turkey you'll ever kill, and you could have a conversation with that turkey, what would you what would you say? I wish there was one more behind you. <laughs> I wish you were the last one. <sighs> That's perfect. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody in the world has ever said, "I've had all I need of everything, and I've enjoyed everything." Bye. Pow. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't that person. <laughs> well, I, like I said, I great respect for for what you do, and and sitting down and talking turkeys for over an hour with me is yeah. something I've never thought I'd get to do. So I really well, I'm appreciate delighted it. you came. That's it. That's all. Another episode of the Hunting Collective in the books. I want to thank not only the Latvian Eagle, Janice Poodles, who is awesome as always. It's great to talk to you. But everyone involved in helping connect me with Colonel Tom Kelly and then also Colonel Kelly himself for allowing me to come into his, his home and chat with him. It was special, special for me. Hopefully you enjoyed it. 
I'll probably go back and listen to this many times throughout my life. I might listen to it before every turkey season to get myself fired up for the next thing. When I and when I read the Tenth Legion, so go to, to Tom's website, which we mentioned there at the end, and and get yourself a copy of the Tenth Legion. I have no stake in that game other than I love good writing, I love good content, and love good creativity. And the Tenth Legion checks all those boxes, and then some. What else? What else? What else? Oh, um, man, I got to tell you, a lot of people have purchased this uh, Aldo freaking Leopold T here. So we thank everybody that's gone to the meteor.com. You go into the store and you've, you've bought this, this T-shirt that we came out with here at the Hunting Collective. Picture of Aldo uh, smoking a pipe uh, with, with the words inscribed beneath him that I just mentioned. Um, Ryan Callahan made a good point to me earlier, and he's made it a couple times. There's a lot of people that know that name that maybe haven't read his works. Um, And I think that happens in all pursuits, and and that's something we generally all can understand, that you might not have read every single one of his books or really even understand the man without understanding what he meant to conservation. But DeKal does make a good point, man. While While we're adding to the reading list, the Tenth Legion and many of Tom's books, get out there and and Take in as much Aldo as you can. His writings, his works are all out there to be found. Everyone understands the San County Almanac just like they might understand the 10th Legion, but there's just a lot of works out there. But before you do that, go buy the shirt, man. Go buy that Aldo freaking Leopold shirt and enjoy it. And it's it's really meant to be a way for you to kick that conversation off when somebody says, who the hell is that guy? He looks cool. You can tell him the story of one of the fathers of conservation in this great nation. So go to the com, go to the store and check it out there. Also, what I continue, you need to continue doing is going to the THC at the com and sending in your audio clips, sub two minute clips recorded on your phone. Just talk right into the notes on your iPhone or whatever you have on a, uh, any other device. Talk into the notes, hit record, record what you want to say, and then email it right from there. It's super simple and easy. Uh, we're going to, as you'll hear in a minute, we play a couple of these at the end of every show. And I think it's just really cool to do. And I love to hear from you. And I want everyone else to hear what you thought of these topics, these shows and how we're doing good, bad, ugly. There's certainly a lot of good comments, bad comments and ugly comments that I've seen about this podcast and about me, but, um, I, I want to read them all and understand them all so we can get better at this here podcast program. So, but until next time, I've been O'Brien. You're going to hear from two awesome listeners coming up next. And then a little uh, old number seven on the way out, as always. Thanks for another great episode. We'll see you next week on Hunting Collective. Ben, I want to try to drop a uh, hot tip for your THC followers. If you're like me and live on the East Coast, flatland, I'm actually in Florida. It's hard to find elevation to hike and prep for our... uh, western hunts but what i've been doing with my group is uh, meeting at the side of a overpass and actually perpendicularly going up and down with a heavy pack load hashtag sloan stone glacier and it's worked really well to give us that uh, true incline and elevation feel thanks for your time keep up the good work thc hello ben my name's Art, and I just wanted to say that I really appreciate your podcast. Uh, I got turned on to you recently uh, through listening to Renella's 
uh, Meat Eater podcast, and I love all the characters. I watched the show on Netflix and got turned on to your podcast as a, as a suggestion through through Ranella. But uh, anyway, great topics. I love the interviews and uh, just keep it up. I'm from the East Coast as well. I've hunted Maryland and Pennsylvania. I've hunted sick of deer. Not many people that I know say they've done that. And hearing your stories in regards to that kind of ring home to me. Um, but anyway, hey, living the dream out there in Montana. One day, maybe I'll make it out there myself. Uh, keep it up, Ben. Thanks. Bye. Angels start to look good to me They're gonna have to deport me to the fiery deeps Oh, to the fiery deeps Drinking to in the fiery deeps Oh, to the fiery deeps Drinking in heaven Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels it can also generate income in both the near and long term like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across america enough dreaming about it land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space 